At this time, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, as we do ask God to speak to us through the gift of the word that his truth may be planted deep within us and that the gospel hope that we celebrate on Easter Sunday may live throughout our lives. I invite you to open your Bibles, yes, to Matthew 22. Um, we'll be looking at the first 14 verses of the chapter. And Matthew 22 um, also later on contains that great gospel summary of, well, what's the greatest summary of the law? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. But there's a parable that happens at the beginning of the chapter. And as Ben mentioned um, last week, he preached on the banquet parable in the Gospel of Luke. And this week we go to the, par the parable in the Gospel of Matthew. And well, there's a few things that are just a little bit different. And this was a planned thing. Um, as, as Aaron and Ben and I looked ahead, um, this was a way that we thought, let's look at both of them week, um, one week apart so that we have both of them in our minds. I would say most of us are probably more familiar with the language of Luke's parable because Matthew, well, it's got some interesting wording here for us to pay attention to today. Um, there's a couple different schools of thought as we look at Matthew 22. Um, it might be helpful to know, though, that banquets and wedding feasts were the stuff of parables, not just that Jesus used, but other contemporaries of Jesus in that time. And so as you hear this, if you're like, this sounds like almost a different story than the one that we heard last week in Luke, you might be right about that. In fact, it might be more helpful to think that this is not the same telling of, this is not a different telling of the same story as told by Matthew and Luke, but that they are picking up on different parables that Jesus used, because there's some different points made. With that, I will just say, buckle up for Matthew's telling of the parable of the wedding banquet. But before we do so, part of how we prepare is in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we just sang, speak to us, O Lord. And this we ask in earnest as we sing these words that we pray them, that you will speak to us, that we pray that you speak to us throughout our lives in every moment, that we're paying attention for the ways in which you direct us and give us that nudge from your Holy Spirit throughout all of our lives. Do this, O oh God. And we also pray that you give us the ears to hear in these special moments where your people are gathered together, where we look at the scriptures together as a body, and as we discern the ways in which you still speak today. So Lord, give us what we stand in need of in our minds, in our hearts. Give us the boundaries and protection from distractions that hinder us from hearing what you would say to us today. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit with gratitude, amen. Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. 
But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And maybe as we say, thanks be to God, it's with a little bit of not hesitation. We're very grateful to God for the scriptures, uh, but maybe with a little bit of what do we do with this? I mean, it's enough that we get this whole section about, and they mistreated his servants, and then he, you know, went and killed all of those murderers and burned their city. And so as we think back, if you were here last Sunday um, and heard Ben's sermon about, you know, identifying with the different characters, and we're not going to redo what Ben did because he did it well, uh, my future supervisor. Um, but uh, one of the things that he zeroed in on for us was, hey, take on the idea of being the messenger. Well, now we read Matthew's account. We're like, I don't want to be the first messenger sent out because they got mistreated and killed. So this, is, this parable takes a little bit more of a turn for the violent Whereas Matthew was more about the excuses and, oh, I don't want to go, there's more just ignorance here. They either totally ignored or killed the servants, killed the messengers of the king. And then we can get to the same part. Really, the shared part is, hey, just, just the, the banquet hall has to be full. Go out. I don't care who you find. Just bring them all in. Except in Matthew's account, once again, it seems like, wait, it does seem like the king cares what in the world do we do with this little episode of you're not wearing wedding clothes? Tie him up hand and foot and throw him out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth? What do we do with that? And one of the things that just bothers me the most in, in, ever, in every first reading of this is why does the king call him friend? How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? Just a piece of life advice. If you're going to have someone tied hand and foot and thrown out, don't call them friend first. Nobody wants to be your friend if you're like that. And nobody trusts you if you say friend like that either. What do we do? Because this parable is also a part of the scriptures. This parable seems to have some of the invitational elements of Luke, but there's kind of a harshness to it as well. In total, only 19 words are the same between Matthew's parable of the wedding banquet and Luke's parable. Only 19 Greek words are identical in their usage and placement, which lends us to think this is a different parable. It's a banquet parable again, but it's different, it's distinct. There is a different point being made. Some overlap, yes, 
But maybe it's helpful as we zero in, let's eliminate the two furthest apart errors first. Let's start with we know what isn't the point of the parable, because every parable has an intention to it. One, if this parable makes you think, um, am I in danger of losing my salvation? No, that is an overreach of the intent of the parable, and even this strange response at the end of the guy who wasn't wearing a nice tuxedo and got thrown out. If you read this and you think this is about potentially losing my salvation, hold off on that. Don't jump to that conclusion once again. That's an overreach. But also, there's a way to undersell this parable. Um, if you think that this is just a parable telling you that you need to wear nice clothes to church, you've undershot what Jesus is getting at here. And yep, we know, we all come here, we gather, um, I'd say presentable, but it's not like everybody has to wear a tuxedo to come to church. I think Wayne Larman and I are the only two people who regularly wear ties, and that's fine. Come as you are. Ties, flannel, everything, whatever. Maybe not your pajamas, depending on what you do for pajamas, but this isn't about what we really wear. Though that is the parable usage of a particular metaphor. And where it might be helpful to remember in all parables that we've hopefully sprinkled this in throughout the parable teaching is that the kingdom of heaven is like this. This isn't an exact replica. This is a way to understand, to wrap our minds around what Jesus is telling us. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying the kingdom of heaven is like a king meaning I want you to understand this a little bit better. Jesus is doing us a favor, despite the apparent harshness of all of this, Jesus is doing us a favor and saying, let's slow this down so that you can understand God better and that you can understand the kingdom and the invitation that we're giving. And the invitation is the same in both. It is too, a banquet table. The invitation is to say, come, eat, join in the fellowship. This is the gospel invitation that though we are not worthy, we are worthy in Christ to come. Receive the invitation and respond to it and come to the banquet. It might be helpful to know who Jesus is talking to. And just earlier in Matthew 21, we find that the chief priests and the Pharisees are conversation partners at this point in the gospel. And so as Jesus starts this parable in Matthew 22, it is the same audience. Jesus' disciples are there, there's always a crowd, Jesus always draws a crowd, and then there is also the chief priests and the Pharisees who are waiting, who are looking for a thing that they can accuse Jesus of. But if we follow Jesus as our Savior, but also as our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus will teach us. Jesus will take us to school. And one thing that Jesus is doing particularly here with the chief priests and the Pharisees is he's schooling them a little bit. He's taking them on a quick history lesson. Because if we go back through the Old Testament, we might understand a little better what Jesus is getting at. This parable is not one that we can read in isolation from the other scriptures. That would leave us with a lot of head scratching to do. But rather, if we think of this as a little history lesson, we remember the prophets of the Old Testament. Some of them were ignored altogether. Some of them never got an audience with the people. 
Kind of like the excuse givers that we talk about, a lot of people just didn't really listen to the prophets. Or the kings that were in charge did not heed the prophets' warnings or instructions. If we think of that quickly as Jesus giving a little history lesson, then it makes sense that the kingdom of heaven is like this king who sends these messengers and first they're ignored. Now, some of the prophets are mistreated and abused and killed. Jesus even has a woe against Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. If we think of that as a little history lesson, that once again, Jesus is poking at something with the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, not all of the religious people, but the religious leaders. He's saying, you know who you are in this parable. You're the ones who have ignored God's previous messengers. You're the ones who maybe harden your hearts and and want to give excuses maybe out of apathy. And then even some of the prophets were killed. There's a little history lesson there. And then this turning is an explanation of Jesus' gospel invitation for all of us. Gather them all up. Let the invitation be far and wide. Invite them in. That's an invitation that's good news for us and for anyone and everyone. That there is a time where people did not listen and the audience, the invitation audience changed. But it didn't change by getting narrower. It changed by getting wider. Now, what do we do with the angry king who uh, sent in his army to kill those murderers and burn down their city? This, once again, with a little bit of a history lesson, we remember that the prophets warned about something that happened to Israel in their history, is that Assyria and Babylon overtook Judah and Israel, that they took Jerusalem, that the city was overtaken and destroyed, and the people were carried off into exile. We might not think about that part of history as quickly. But for those who are hearing this parable, especially in this setting with this audience, they know the history lesson that Jesus is reviewing them on. And for some of the gripes that the Pharisees might have had against Jesus and who he associates with and the things that he's saying, Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? The master wants the banquet hall to be full. And so I'm going to invite anyone and everyone to hear this good news. The history lesson helps us make sense of the first part. But boy, that weird part at the end. How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. This is the most distinct part that's different between Matthew and Luke. And I wonder if for one it's good to remember that Matthew, and this is from a commentator, that Matthew captures something better than the other Gospels, that warning, not only wooing, makes people disciples. Warning, not only wooing, makes people disciples. That the invitation is good, that it should be heeded, that we should be eager to be invited into what God is doing. But that also comes along with warnings, with caution at times, of make sure that the response is full-hearted or at least even muster it to be half-hearted. Matthew has some hard things to say that we shouldn't ignore, gloss over, and though we should read Matthew and Luke, let's not read only Luke instead of Matthew when it comes to a contrast in parables like this. So what is this wedding garment? What is going on? 
Once again, we shouldn't read this parable in isolation from the rest of the scriptures. And I wonder, as we might get hung up on, hey, this is about what you wear to church. No, it's not. I wonder if one of the most helpful things we can do is pay attention to other times that clothing is mentioned in how we are supposed to be clothed, especially in the New Testament. That maybe the early church was doing some unpacking of Jesus' parables, including the warnings that had hard things to say. Consider starting with Romans 13, verse 14. We're told, rather, clothe yourselves, put on this, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. In Galatians 3.27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And 1 Peter 5.5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. The repetition among the letters that circulated among the early church is to clothe ourselves in the right way. Clothe yourself with Christ. Clothe yourself with humility, kindness, compassion, gentleness, and graciousness. Clothe yourselves in this way. This is not about our physical attire. That would be a literal reading that would misplace the intent of the parable. This is an understanding of how do we clothe ourselves? How do we show up in the world around us? Because the invitation goes far and wide, but it seems that there's some response that gets to happen along the way. One part of the differences between Matthew and Luke, with Luke, it seems like the servants are basically just herding the people in. Whereas with Matthew, the invitation goes out, but there's a slightly different uh, sense of urgency that there might have been some time to prepare. Matthew also has the parables of the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the weeds, where everything is together. The good and the bad are all mixed together. And then at the end, things get sorted out. So let's not think that the parable is so literal that there is like five seconds for this guy to walk over to the banquet and then get kicked out because he didn't change his clothes before he went. There's some time that passes. And then this lines up a lot with other parables of Jesus, where the church is wheat and weeds, sheep and goats. And it's not really until the final judgment that things get sorted out. But there's one thing that I hope we can be different from than this idea of the man in the parable who showed up and he was not dressed with the ways that we understand that we are to be dressed with Christ, with humility, with faith. We're told as we read this parable after verse 12, in verse 12, where he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? That the man was speechless. I don't think we need to be speechless, friends. And I say friends because I don't intend to have anybody here tied up hand and foot and thrown out. If you were to stand before the throne of Almighty God, holy, the creator of the universe, if you were to stand before the throne of Almighty God, just picture what that might be like. And that as you stand in the presence of holy God, that our unholiness 
might suddenly start boiling to the surface, that, that we realize the mistakes we've made, even worse mistakes than sending the exec agenda to the whole congregation, like the really bad stuff. If we were to stand with all of our mistakes, if our life was to be put on display before the throne of God, we might start to cringe and get uncomfortable. And if we were to ask, how did you get in here? How did you get here before the throne room of God? We might be speechless for a moment, but there is a one-word response that changes the entire conversation and explains how we did get in here. And that one-word response is the Sunday school answer. Jesus. How did you get in here, friend? Jesus. How did you, after your death, go before the throne room of heaven and be invited to join at the great banquet table, not the pledge and foretaste that we celebrate in communion, but the real thing in its full splendor and grandeur. How did you get a seat at this table? Jesus, and only Jesus, because this parable, despite how harsh it might sound, is still gospel. This is still an invitation to know that our sins are forgiven and that we are God's redeemed people. And how did we get here? Jesus. And what are we told in the New Testament what to clothe ourselves with? Romans 13, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then all of these other attributes, these good ways to live a, a moral and upstanding life, they get added, but the addition is as a response. The addition is a response to the transformation of accepting God's invitation to come to the banquet, and it changes us. We don't dress up with our good deeds and become accepted. We are clothed, clothed with Christ, and therefore, all of the good deeds that come from faith, it is a response to what God is doing already in our hearts. And so at different points in the church's history, it's been argued, well, uh, the, the garment is moral living, and we should live moral lives. This is part of what the letters to the church get at, is, no, put off all this other stuff. Clothe yourselves with Christ, with his humility and gentleness and kindness. Maybe we could be mindful of that, that it could be moral living. Martin Luther, the great reformationist, said, obviously, everybody got it wrong except for Luther, that the, the garment is faith, because the invitation goes to all, but only faith will keep you at the banquet. Maybe faith is a part of that. But even faith, we're told in Ephesians, is a gift from God. The garment is the response. And so I wonder not in any way to make sure that we don't think that we have to dress ourselves up nicely enough or we'll get thrown out. Not so. That is an overreach and a misdirection of the parable. Or if we think this just means dress up nice, smile a lot, and you'll be well on your way, that's an underreach of how maybe severe and important the parable is. But rather, how do we clothe ourselves? We could say, I have received this invitation. I have celebrated Christ's resurrection on Easter, and I believe that Jesus is Lord and that God resurrected him from the dead, and that the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life is found in Christ. That is the invitation to the banquet. But then from there, our mindfulness, our response, our transformation is, how do we clothe ourselves? Do we clothe ourselves with a little bit of road rage, cynicism? Do we clothe ourselves with excuses for, well, I know I have a bit of a temper, but it's only because? 
Do we clothe ourselves with put-downs to other people? Do we clothe ourselves? How would you be recognized as, oh, that's that person that is always putting others down. That's the person who clothes themselves with greed and how they take advantage of other people. That's the person who clothes themselves with snide comments about others. That's the person who's always putting themselves down to make others lift them up. Or do we clothe ourselves with compassion that as you can be recognized by how you maybe dress yourself, we all have our style, that our style of how we dress ourselves aligns with Christ, that that is a patient person, that that is a patient person who will speak truth into my life, that that's someone who will not mince words but cares deeply about me, that that person dresses themselves with generosity, with care for their neighbor. How might we dress ourselves? Friends, Remember this, this is not about physical attire, and this is not about earning our way to heaven. This is a great reminder that when we stand before the throne room of God, when the king comes in to see those who are at his banquet, that we remember, how did you get here, friend? And we are friends, because we are friends of Jesus. So come to his banquet, and every time we do, Matthew might just remind us in this parable to wonder, how have I dressed myself this week? How have I clothed myself? How have I shown up to the world around me? Clothe yourselves with Christ. Clothe yourselves with holy and dearly lovedness as your identity. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe, your, clothe yourselves with truth and love. And in all of this, know that the invitation and the clothing itself that we wear at the great banquet is a gift from God that we celebrate in Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension until the great heavenly banquet comes. In that, in that name of Christ, we pray, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you do give warm invitation and you also give stern warning that you compel us to come to you, to draw near to you, and you also caution us to watch how we live, how we treat our neighbor, how we love our neighbor as ourselves, and how we love you, God. And so as we receive the, the wooing invitation of the gospel, may it also come to us with warning, not warning to make us afraid, but warning to make us wise, to seek you out, to be longing for your transformation in our lives, that you may clothe us, that you may change us, and that this may not be anything other than a response of gratitude on our part for you to do the work within us. And so God, as we look at ourselves, help us to look to you with your name ever on our lips. And may we remember, may we remember always that your invitation stands and that we ought to both be heeding it and grateful for it and also celebrating that we are clothed with your righteousness as we sit at the great banquet table until we are all gathered there together. Keep us close to you. Keep working on us and allow us to open our hearts and lives that you will work on us and allow you to. In your name we pray, Jesus.
Amen.